Returning to Real Conversations are hosted by two women, Suzanne Rochon and Carmen Jelly, who are psychotherapists, published authors, and compassionate inquiry practitioners. This podcast is for anyone who wants to improve the quality of their life by taking baby steps or diving deep into the process of healing pain or anywhere in between. Carmen and Suzanne have witnessed the powerful impact of blending Eastern spiritual practices with Western psychology. They invoke body, mind, and spirit into the healing conversation and circle. They invite clients and listeners into a safe space for relaxation, conversation, and an opportunity to work with every therapeutic issue including addictions, trauma, attachment wounds, personal growth, and professional development. With 30 years of experience, research, and insight, they created the Raw, Risky, and Real Framework, which supports people in healing and shifting from wounds to wellness. They share real stories, tips, and practices with the ultimate intention of guiding your return to real, your return to your authentic self. When you return to real, you will develop a unique approach to life that honors and supports your authenticity and eliminates the need for sub-personalities and defense mechanisms to play the leading role in your life. Please let me introduce the Return to Real hosts, Carmen Jelly and Suzanne Rocha. Hello and welcome to Returning to to Real. If you are new to our podcast, this is where we explore the journey to reclaiming our authenticity. And if you're returning, welcome back. I am so honored today to be joined by my partner, Suzanne, my soul sister, my co-author, Suzanne, and also really excited to be joined by our guest speaker, Leah Brown. And I'd love to introduce Leah right now. Um, Leah is also a psychotherapist. She lives in the London, Ontario area, and she specializes in mental health and addictions. I have known Leah, oh my goodness, I was reflecting on this the other day my journey at Connects Ontario. And here's a plug for Connects where, where uh, Leah and I met. Yeah. So I think it was from like 2006 and I believe I was there a good five years and that's where our past was and that's where we met. So Connects Ontario is a, um, just a fascinating and a magnificent resource for mental health addictions and gambling. It's probably been restructured since I left there 11, 10, 11 years ago, but it, it still is there and it's an amazing resource. So that's where Lee and I met and we continue to have a beautiful connection together. Leah has her own private practice in, and it's called Stay True Therapy. I absolutely love that name and it really resonates with returning to real, reclaiming your authenticity, like staying true to you. And I, I have a quote to read like from your webs, like right from your website. When we choose to view human behavior, thoughts and feelings from a curiosity perspective, 
as opposed to judgment, we are more apt to open ourselves up to greater compassion and healing. That really resonates with Suzanne and I in our in our approach and our and the way our our book, Returning to Real, is written. Like that really summarizes it. And then you go on to say, I have always identified with the internal strife of individuals, unable, however yearning, to speak from a place of authenticity. I just love that. Just love it. And it just blends so well with the topic today, which is the fourth chapter in our book. We talk about the subpersonality or the part of us that is the perfectionist part. And I think the three of us have, we're in our fifth decade. I think I can say that. <laughs> we're all in our fifth decade. And we have a really, at least I have a really close relationship with my perfectionist part. It has run my life for probably more decades than I um, care to state, but that is, that is truth. And I wanted to open also with a with some wisdom from Brene Brown, who has she has spent, you know, I think 20 years researching shame and vulnerability. And that is so linked perfectionism, isn't it? And she she says, if I look perfect, live perfect, work perfect, I can avoid or minimize criticism blame and ridicule wow that's really powerful she also says all perfectionism is a 20 ton shield we carry around that's that's really heavy imagine like a 20 ton shield and we're hoping that it will keep us from being hurt and I agree with her. I agree. It's a, it's a shield that protects us. And it really aligns well with our approach, Suzanne. Like it's a shield and it's also a part of us. It's a subpersonality. It's a part of us that is there. And it might be because of our genetics or it's a combination of genetics, nature, nurture, what society has said. It's like the perfectionism pattern is real and it's, it's strong in a lot of us. So when you reflect on that quote, I'm really curious. What do you think about that, Suzanne? Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly powerful quote, Carm, and thank you. Thanks for opening that way before I go into sort of what my thoughts are, because I have lots of thoughts, I too want to welcome you, Leah. Um, I'm so happy that we have the opportunity to connect today. And, um, and I think we're going to have just a fabulous conversation because, you know, there's, you can, the, the, the synergy, the energy is just, is present. It's palpable for me. And, um, and that, um, you know, I, I always, I resonate with that. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for chatting with Carmen and I today. So yeah, perfectionism. Oh my gosh. Um, I've been thinking about 
this a lot, obviously, because we're writing the book and things are coming up. Um, and it's interesting, you know, when you write about uh, a particular topic, it, um, you can get triggered. And I've noticed that that's actually happening and I'm noticing things that are coming up that I really hadn't noticed in myself before. Part of the quote that really resonates with me, Carm, is the weight, the weight of being that perfectionist. And even as I'm describing it, I, I can, you know, there it is, there it is, right? And, and so one of the things that I've sort of just been noticing is how much of that we all carry around and how and the burden, the burden that it creates and the expectations that we place on ourselves so that no one sees our imperfections. And I think that's such, you know, that's the pain, right? That's the suffering is we're so scared that somebody's going to see our imperfections that we create these lives where you know we have the perfect job the perfect mate the perfect house the perfect children and and and, and we'll talk a little bit about it but i just want to say you know one of the things that we explore in the book is that perfection is actually a myth it's a myth oh my gosh like it's a myth there is, there is, I mean, when we look at nature, and, and I know I go back to nature a lot, because it's, a, it's, you know, I'm drawn to nature, it provides um, um, significant grounding for me. Um, and there are lessons and insights in nature. And we never look at a tree or a flower and say, oh, it's, it's, you know, imperfect, or there's something wrong with it. It's just a tree. It's a tree, whether it's crooked or straight or, you know, tall, short, it's a tree. Yet when it comes to people, we attach that, the definition, the expectation to be a certain way. And, and it's quite an un, unlearning um, to seeing ourselves from the perspective of just being the way they are rather than that we want others to see us so so it is a it is a journey and and it's and it's a it's a huge topic we're absolutely not going to get through it today it's a huge topic but so those are the things that come to mind for me when you know we talk about um imperfect perfection the perfectionist uh but i i really want to hear from you leah what what are you thinking yeah you know i found that really interesting uh when you said about being triggered uh, just even in writing the book being asked to be a part of this podcast, I never realized 
how much that would trigger my protectors, you know, the, the, or, or even the fight or flight fawn fear part of me that how can I get out of this? You know, how can I go to where there's safety? Um, how can I script it so it's perfect that I say the right things, I do the right things, nothing that would stand out or look um, like an imperfection. And one thing that I've been learning um, is that vulnerability is essential for us to be authentic. Like in order for us to, um, in order for us to be true, and that's sort of, you know, the stay true. Your title. Yeah. A mantra that I carried for years, you know, like stay true in who I am. And be vulnerable, uh, then it doesn't feel as heavy. When I get into what do I do to prevent vulnerability, that's where it gets heavy. And I can spend all my energy into trying to achieve the unachievable. Because even if you hit that mark that time, there's you know the next time and the next time. And when we think of perfection, when we hit a mark, it's magical, it's beautiful, and it's intended to be in that moment. But we don't live there. We can't, we can't uh, manufacture perfection every time. Otherwise, it's, it's manufactured. So it's, I find that when you are authentic, vulnerable, it's contagious. And we often want permission for that space, but because there is, there's sort of this perception that particularly a lot of social media and platforms where we see, we get a visual of what looks perfect, you know, and that's where I think it's manufactured because behind that, you're not seeing the pain and the, the effort that it takes to, um, you know, curl your hair and try to like make sure everything looks just right. That that's, um, that's a lot of energy that could go into nurturing your authenticity and just being being you. So I find that when you when you said that quote, um, it, especially that weight part, I really do um, I do resonate with that as well. And and I think a big part I have found is that it's the shame perfection cycle. And you might be talking about that so I don't want to take away from the conversation but I'm uh, I'm painfully aware now of the shame that's been carried into me that's the heaviest is is a sort of a dark cloud that you can't get out from underneath because it's not like oh if I just you know change my hat then so what's the hat the shame is it's not the hat it's who's wearing the hat and you can't change that that's, that's just broken, it's flawed, can never get out from underneath that. And so that recognizing when I am experiencing shame, like a shame state, but not staying there, I'm not shame. That's been a big one for me uh, to see that it is the cycle of trying to achieve something that doesn't exist. And it is in that pro process 
that shame is experienced. And then the shame brings me to, well, no matter how much, you know, my hair's done or my face done up or that how many degrees I have or, you know, what, how great I am as a mom, none of that's going to take away that feeling. So I go back into, well, if I just make it look good, then I don't have to feel that shame as often. And that's where we get sort of caught in that trap. So uh, I don't know, that's kind of a long-winded explanation. I love it. Perfectionism is, it's, to me, it's a, it's a bit of a trap. Oh, absolutely. It is. It is. You, you can't, we cannot have a conversation about perfectionism without talking about shame. And I, I really feel that perfectionism shuns vulnerability right we can't be real we can't be vulnerable and where does that come from like like the perfectionism pattern or that part of ourselves we've talked about in in previous podcasts in terms of parts of ourselves right it's a adaptation it's a defense mechanism you know, there's many different phrases or words for it, but for our listeners or our viewers that identify with being perfection, that, that you know, and there's society, there's all kinds of things, but it, it goes back to our, how are we born? Like me, some of us have a, have are born with a pattern for detail, or maybe that, you know, the need for perfectionism, but it, it, it it's to further develop as our personalities are formed. And as you were talking, Leah, something that came up for me unexpectedly was an experience I had. Um, And I don't know how old I was, but, you know, for those of of you who are old enough to remember coercive writing, like remember those those lines where we we were taught how to write and it had to be perfect. You had to have your writing in the lines and it had to be in the red, there was red lines and there was blue lines and the capital letters and the small lines of coercive writing. And I remember I'm, I'm left-handed and, and I have terrible writing and I still do 55 years later. And, but I remember the feedback I got was you're, you're a horrible writer. You will never be able to write good. And I practiced and I practiced and, and um, because I'm left-handed, the, the, what we were, what we were writing would also smudge what I was writing. And so it was even, you couldn't even read it. And, but the message that I internalized was your, your writing isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. I have to work hard. I have to have to try harder, try harder. So just that experience, and that's a very early experience, can really impact our, our um, internal belief system. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Um, and also, I'm left. There was like one pair of left-handed scissors in the class, and I think three left-handed students. And so, you know, I never got the left-handed scissors, and so I wasn't good at anything in terms of art or creating and so I internalized I'm not creative I can't do things like so just as an example of where where the birthing of perfectionism comes it sometimes goes really far back into our childhood 
And it's not about blaming and shaming teachers or anyone else, but it's about understanding where it comes from. Because for me, I learned I have to try harder. I'm in, in the belief that I'm not creative, I'm not artistic is actually BS because I am, but I didn't really think I was back then, right? And so that carried forward. And when I had three daughters, I was like, oh, they're right-handed. Oh, thank goodness they're all right-handed. Um, it has nothing to do with anything, but it's just a sticks in your mind, like a traumatic experience that, that I am not enough, right? Because I can't write or because I can't cut properly. And that's such a powerful story, Carm. And it, it yeah. comes up, it comes up. And even at, at my age now, my, my four and a half year old grandson, he's left-handed. There, there's a, my perfectionist part wants to run into his junior kindergarten classroom and make sure there's left-handed scissors and make sure that, you know, that, you know, that he's not going to experience what I experienced. Right. And so perfectionism is a, a monster and it comes from so many different places that it's so important to dissect and to know that it's not and to know and to know that we can it's it's a part of ourselves that just it it's there and it and I also look at parts of ourselves as sometimes these balloons these helium balloons attached to us we just can't pop it and it's gone I would love to pop my perfectionist part and say, boom, you're gone. That It doesn't work that way, right? We have to befriend that part. We have to understand that part. We have to get to know it. So that, that just Absolutely. And yes, yes. And we have to notice it first, right? I think it's Brene who says, um, I, I think, I, and I'm never good at quotes. I can never get the quotes, <laughs> but I think it's, it's always my fallback, right? I think it's Brene who said that. Um, and now I forget what I was going to say. But anyway, um, what I was going to say, Carm, was, um, yes, we need to notice. Because when you notice, there it is. When you notice a pattern, you can't unsee a pattern, right? So you're not, we're not just going to burst those you know, those parts of ourselves and not that we want to get rid of them because they, they were such important parts of ourselves and, 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 and they didn't, you know, um, until they didn't work for us anymore, they did create, um, they were, there was a purpose for them. So we really, really, really want to befriend um and to just be with them and see what what comes out of that what a great example that was and i and i find, found that so interesting when you use that example carmen because if there was one award that i got in school every year <laughs> it was the printing and writing award and <laughs> for children sometimes they can happen in a in a silo and it's I go home and I have connection so I might hear that oh I think you're a great writer don't worry about that you know what in a couple of years you'll practice and that'll get better and and if there is a sort of a repair 
doesn't tend to stick with you, kind of what the War Matei talks about, right? That if it's if trauma is met with connection, we have a greater chance for recovery. But if if you go home, and this happens to be my personal experience, and that uh, if you go home and there was a lot of reinforcement on things have to look a certain way. So this is something you're really good at. You know, take that further. What else could look better? Maybe, you know, don't go outside without that makeup on. Like make sure your hair looks good. And make sure you know you lose a couple pounds or you gotta look a certain way because this is what people like and this is what successful people get. So if you get that kind of reinforcement, then I think the values, like if you think about it as an adaptation, the perfectionism is actually a great adaptation because what it's saying is, I don't want to go back to that feeling of I don't, I'm not very good at something or that I don't ever get the scissors. I feel left out or I feel like it's, I don't belong or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm different. Uh, so I can imagine as a, as a biological response, it's, it's more advantageous for us to want to be a part of the pack and, and move ahead and feel like a sense of belonging and I thrive. Uh, and, and I think that's a big part of it is perfectionism. It can really do a lot for us in, in keeping the emotions at bay. But as we get to a certain age, I think what happens is we start to want more things for ourselves. And that's where it can be tricky because you can imagine if all your energy is gone on uh, making things look better, you can't be over there really experiencing it. Like you can't be in the dance and reflecting on the dance at the same time. So you kind of have to take a, sort of this, the passenger seat in your life. And I think that that's where it gets harder as we get older uh, is to kind of bridge that I have more choice now because that part of us actually doesn't really realize that we do. So, um, and I think that's where it gets a bit more complex. Well said, beautifully said. And that, that what's coming up as you're talking is um, exhaustion, overwhelm, the side effects of perfectionism, right? Like. It can be a beautiful quality to have. Don't get me wrong. Like um, accomplishments and achieving, there's a place for all of that. Um, my mantra is progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. And I daily have to do that because my perfectionist part can get really loud. And so the downside of perfectionism is overwhelm, fatigue, exhaustion. It's not healthy. Right. And so we have to, we get to a point in our lives where we have to like accept that and just say, uh, okay, what, what can I change? What's going on for me? You can't like perfectionism is not real. It's not like, it, you know, Brene Brown's book, the gifts of imperfection is fabulous. Right. And it, it shifted my life. Um, yeah, Suzanne's holding the book up. Yeah, you know the shift from uh, perfection to living wholeheartedly is a, a shift into allowing ourselves to make mistakes, 
allowing ourselves to be real and how do we learn in life? We make mistakes, we mess up and we learn from them, we go on. The, the concept or the idea that we have to be perfect in all areas of our life is so exhausting. And even though, yes. yeah, even though I've grown in so many ways in that area, that part can still take over and ride the bus for me. And, and probably a lot of our listeners or viewers as well. And our approach is like, what we resist persists. So we just can't pop that balloon and it's gone. We can't just push it away and it's gone. We have to just say, honor it and welcome it and love it and say, you did me well. Like, thank you for showing up and being my best friend. Because if I didn't try to be perfect and write well and cut well, I might not have passed grade three. (laughs) (laughs) So like, there's just something inside us, that connection to others, that hold of the whole authenticity versus attachment. We need to be attached to survive. We have to. And so we do whatever it takes. And that's why our perfectionist part gets so overdeveloped. And, and, and even today can, can step up and be too strong. But what's important is to notice and just notice when it's there and offer it love and compassion. You know, I, I call my perfectionist part Gertrude. Gertrude shows up a lot. <laughs> She's there a lot. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I thank her because she got me through a lot of, a lot of difficult times. Right? And, uh, but I don't want her to take over the will anymore because then that can lead to a path of, I'm not enough. I'm, I can't do it and procrastination. So, so there's a lot of side effects, right? Why bother doing it? Cause it's not going to be good enough. So I just won't do it. Or if I do do it, I go over the top and I'm exhausted. So perfectionism on a continuum is like, I'm not going to do it or I'm going to overdo it. And both aren't healthy. So what do we do, right, Suzanne? What do we do about that? Oh, Carm, you've said so many things that I want to jump in on. So the first thing, you too, Leah, right? The first thing, you brought me back to my parenting days with, you know, my two or three, you know, for many years I had two and then I had the third one, but... um, and my desire, my need to be the perfect parent and the exhaustion and the overwhelm that I experienced. And when I look back on it now, and again, it's not, you know, from now I'm able to look back on it, not from, you know, the perspective of blame or, you know, the, the, the guilt. Um, but really looking at where, you know, the things that I, that I did and where they came from. And, and it makes me think of, you know, young parents these days who, not these days, probably forever, right? Where, again, the kids, um, you know, I spent so much time 
baking cookies and making the perfect lunches and oh my gosh they had to have the vegetables and they and i had to sometimes force feed them the natural supplements um and and that was and i could go on and on right they had to have the matching clothes and the best toys and you know the the organized toy toy room <laughs> i could go on and on but when I think back on it now, so much time and energy was spent trying to be that perfect parent that I missed out on all of the times that I could have just been with them. And at the end of the day, they never wanted a perfect parent. They never, they would have just been happier, probably happier with the Oreo cookies than the home-baked cookies, right? Um, so, so it's just about, you know, now that I can reflect on it, it's really about allowing ourselves to be rather than do and just be in the space, especially when it comes to parenting, right? Um, it's, we spend a lot of time as parents trying to be something for the benefit of others. And I remember, you know, how, wanting to be that perfect parent so that when I showed up at the parent teacher meeting, oh, they would just like, you know, they would just think that I was amazing and I would get the accolades. Well, that wasn't, you know, it, and to go back, Carmen, to what you were saying, like the origin of this, that wasn't adult Sue, because adults who really didn't, I don't need to be told that I'm a good parent. That was little Sue, you know, years ago, who at some point in her life really just wanted somebody to say, I see you. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. You're special. You're so good at cutting. That's who, that's who was parenting my kids, right? And doing all of these things to the point of exhaustion. So, so it, I think it's an important point for us to you know, to, to, to mention sort of again and again is, um, you know, our past shows up in our present. And when we recognize that that perfectionist, when that perfectionist part comes up, um, it's, it's usually a, a pretty young part that just wants to be seen. And so we create these lives where, you know, everything, you know, we have all of all of our ducks in a row, so that um, that we can avoid people seeing us or, you know, sort of our perception of our imperfect selves. Create that messy middle between the hyper arousal and the hyper Somewhere in the middle, right? Is that is that window of tolerance? And if you think about energy and energy and motion, emotions were little up until around the age of 12. We're all emotion. We don't have that part of the brain yet. I think it's the corpus callosum or something where we don't actually have that developed. So we we make sense of it, like Carmen said. 
you know, well, it must be that I'm no good at this. That's why I don't get the scissors. There must be something wrong with me. And if we don't, if we don't have that reassurance or that ability to, um, to repair some of those distorted cognitions, often it is our adult self that it's not the thinking part that gets activated. It's usually the emotions and the thinking mm. part that comes after it starts to ruminate, right? So that energy that's in the in the moment of what is, that's the messy. Because if we're just doing it, we're not thinking about where it needs to be. We're just experiencing it. And if we can find that messy middle and allow the feeling that comes up with the messy middle, and I can imagine because even when I say messy metal I can feel it you know if you don't if you put some things away but you don't put all of it away or you do 10 minutes of your assignment but you didn't do you know you didn't finish it uh, it can give us that sort of uh, response that visceral response to want something to be complete I want it finished so that it's over it's ended and if we can find a way to even if it's just for a few seconds to sit with that discomfort. And, and I use this saying with clients, but find the comfort in the discomfort. If you can find mm. that and you can be okay in that space, it shows us that victory that I can sit with that feeling that's not gonna last forever. It's a state of being that is intended to just come in, usually tell us a need, and go up the other side, but why it gets stuck is because we become resistant, right? So if we, if we can find a way to sit with some of that messy middle and allow the discomfort, that is growing pain. That's a good thing. It doesn't have to be, I mean, there's, there's certain feelings. I'm not saying all feelings are, are welcomed. Uh, if it's scary, it's frightening, or there's something that's traumatizing, that's, you know, we're talking about maybe a different uh, support system. But when we're talking about perfectionist part, even if it's just for a little while, sitting with it to see what that feels like, and then to see that the sky doesn't fall, it's not the end of the world. And we, we then become more apt to stretching that window of tolerance. It's not so rigid or black or white or all or nothing, which I, I tend to think our society likes neat and tidy dichotomies, you know, it's either this or that, but there's not that messy middle. So, yeah, that's, that's something love, that came to mind when you, when you were talking about that, that overwhelmed. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. The messy middle and that's life. And because we're always in growth mode change and change and change look at the last 20 months with covid talk about messy middle no predictability chaos etc and for me the, those are the triggers for my perfectionism part the unknown not knowing so i think what you said so beautifully is having that awareness leah right like when is that part really driving the bus when is it there right so that we can just pause. We're in the messy middle. Yeah, let's just pause and sit in that discomfort. And often we're not taught how to do that. We're taught to avoid, distract, 
numb. And so we don't know how to do that. But awareness is so key in, in identifying the perfectionist part or knowing when that's there. And just, I think another part of that is like having the awareness so that you can be compassionate and kind, you know, what bringing in our inner nurturer, for example, is part of the healing process. Because people, people will say, and clients will say, and I'll ask myself, give me a magic wand. How do I fix this? What do I do? What do I do? What do I say? Well, just like anything, there isn't a magic wand or a magic little pink pill. It's the awareness and just knowing with compassion, okay, this part of myself protected me. It helped me and it still helps me. But where is, where is that balance? Like I, I have to know when the tipping point is, so to speak, where's the tipping point for me? Because my perfectionist tendencies have benefited me, but where's the tipping point where it's, I'm now I'm leaning into exhaustion and overwhelm, et cetera, et cetera. So just sometimes going with taking that pause and going within myself and saying, okay, what is this about? Who's driving the bus? Is it my eight-year-old self? that you know or my six-year-old self is it my eight-year-old self who she can't cut anything or can't write like or 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 all kinds of things come flooding in so it's just that taking the space and pausing so that you can say hey no thank you for showing up when when I needed you but I don't need to tip into exhaustion and overwhelm does that make sense little girl that can't cut the paper right so there's a sense of helplessness and if we allow ourselves to experience what helplessness is like it it does have an intention helplessness helplessness lets us know when there's a need i have a need to feel uh safe and i have a need to feel like i matter or i exist or whatever that is that that's bringing up that helplessness, that if we go into getting rid of the helplessness, cutting it off, then we're gonna spend our time doing that. Right? If we actually give ourselves that space to say, it's a human condition that at times we're gonna feel helpless. Well, where is my power? What can I do? That propels us forward rather than that being stuck. I hear acceptance in what you say, Leah. And, and for me, it's about, and I mean, it's far more complex than this, but for me, it's about really accepting those parts of ourselves just the way they are. And that goes back to the authenticity piece, it goes back to the drive you know, that we've had Carm to, to, to name our book, Returning to Real, because it's, you know, the, the, the way through is rooted in awareness, first and foremost, and then in acceptance. And in separating um, ourselves or allowing ourselves to recognize that 
we really are just the way we are and we don't need to attach a definition to it like you said in nature yeah. we're just that way yeah and it's okay to be just that way and and i mean it sounds simple right it sounds simple um and it isn't oh my gosh it isn't um and and it takes and sometimes i'll you know i'll say well that's why we're we're given 80 90 100 years as human beings to live on this planet because it takes us that it can take us that long you know until the moment of our final dance of our last dance where you know i imagine things come together for us um but it's a journey it's a process it's 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 a journey rooted in first awareness and then the beginning of acceptance of who we are just as you know perfectly imperfect human beings yeah that acceptance piece i i wanted to add that i i have a hard time um i struggled with an eating disorder for years and i remember acceptance was to me like the f word because i really believe that acceptance meant giving up giving in i'm just going to let myself go I'm not, none of that's going to matter anymore. Like my, my perfectionism and my inner critic and all those parts said, heck no, we don't accept because acceptance, if I did that when I was younger, I would have stayed in my environment that I didn't like. If I had accepted it, it wouldn't have felt okay. So the part that wanted to get out and say, no, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to be different acceptance was threatening and what I've learned and I try to impart this on uh, clients who also have a real strong reaction to acceptance is that acceptance in its truest form much like forgiveness is you don't have to like it and you can want it to be different but can you acknowledge and that's why I use acknowledge a little bit more than I use acceptance because I think if you can acknowledge what is then your energy can go into what am I going to, how am I going to respond now that I know that this is the way it is. For years, I would spend, no, I don't like it that way. I want to make it different and I can make it different. And I, as one person, I can't, there's lots of things I can't do. So it is, can I acknowledge that it is that way? I don't really like it. And I do really want it to be different. And I could have used a lot more from that person that couldn't give me whatever that is. But can I acknowledge that that's all it's gonna be? That when I can do that, then my energy can be going to things like self-nurturing or compassion or, right? So patience, all sorts of things that are self-energy. So that, that acceptance piece, I, that is important to me. Um, just sort of being able to see the difference. It does not mean we're going to swing the pendulum all the way and be like, well, then I'm just going to have a super dirty house and I'm just not going to take care of myself anymore. And my perfectionism part is going to eat potato chips all day long. It doesn't work like that. Usually when we give space, they will nestle somewhere in that messy middle. But it's kind of that, yeah, the middle. Yeah. 
beautiful distinction and really emphasizes the, the fact that words, words we choose matter. Words resonate with us, right? And that's why forgiveness doesn't resonate with me. Forgiveness resonates with some people. So I forgiveness, I can, I can do acceptance, but I even love acknowledgement. That's another whole other level on the continuum, right? Forgiveness, acceptance, acknowledge. I love it because words matter in terms of our healing process and returning to real and our authentic self. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah, I just think it's beautiful. I, parts, right? and I, I noticed that with others that resistance and to, again, I think we buy into that dichotomy, right? That if it's not this way, then it's going to be totally this way. Yeah. What if you were that gray? And when you say gray to some people, they go, oh, no, <laughs> it can't be gray. Beautiful. Absolutely. So, so when we think about the perfectionist, the perfectionist and, and the, the draw in our world to be a perfectionist, uh, and the conversation that we've had today. What's the what what's the takeaway for us? What 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 would be your takeaway for today, Carm? Well, there's a million dollar question. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to my mantra. For me, it's about progress, not perfection. Because perfectionism isn't a, obtainable. It's not possible. And so if we are on that treadmill spinning and spinning and spinning, and for me, it led to exhaustion. It led to overwhelm. And Bernie Brown's um, famous quote, uh, exhaustion is not an honor badge, right? That, that's what really helped me. That's what helped me shift my life into part of practice and away from the, the life that I was leading and trying to be perfect. You know, we talked about this. Perfect. You try to be perfect in, in, in your work, in, in your roles, all the different relationships and roles we have, not possible, nor should it be. So that is a million dollar question. I think it's going to it's going to resonate very differently with everybody who's listening, but the key is to just pause and reflect on where in your life does that part come in and, and drive the bus. It may not necessarily be in every area of your life. It may just be for your, the expectation you have on yourself. It might be an expectation you put on everyone in your life, but where does it, where is it showing up? Is a, is a great question. And then- Absolutely. So progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And pausing. Leah, what about you? What's your takeaway for today? For me, I think it is, um, it feels what stands out for me in, in that conversation is compassion, is the sort of the antidote for shame compassion is contagious and if we 
can support one another as women, as humans, uh, to be able to encourage that in others, that um, not just what you do, like what is it that you do for a living or, you know, how much weight have you lost? We get in these long conversations with other women about, you know, just what we've done, plastic surgery, what we've done to just change things. And if we can support one another and we are intended to be that leaf or that tree. And that's what makes us so diverse and beautiful. That if we strip that down, it leads to shame. I get to this place of I'm not enough. I've got to be somebody more, somebody different. Compassion, to me, it's contagious. When I see someone showing compassion to themselves or to others, I want to join them. I want to join other women. So. Um, and, I, and I say women <clears throat> primarily because I think we have been so hard on one another and we've joined kind of in that movement of, you know, let's make sure that we hide all of those, you know, stretch marks and imperfections and things like that. But if we encourage what is and that messy middle and, and all of our diversities, there would be, I think there would be less need for us to put our energy into trying to be perfect. That's mm, beautiful. Compassion, the antidote for shame. Mm. And Sue, what comes up for you? Well, I was going to take the easy way out and say, my takeaway is that we have to do this again, because there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> um, but I just called you out. <laughs> well, you did, you did, you did. You know, I think for me, it, it goes back and, and yeah, I mean, for me, the, the compassionate part of it, the um, acceptance or acknowledging part of it is super important. The curiosity and the recognizing our, our patterns and the, the desire to digging a little bit deeper um, and so that, you know, hopefully we can get to the point of recognizing that life doesn't have to be so darn hard. It doesn't have to, we, it doesn't have to be so exhausting and overwhelming. Um, it's, it's okay. It's okay to just be who we are. And uh, so those are so those are some of the things that you know I repeat to myself, um, and uh, and you know, I, and I imagine I'll continue repeating because uh, I need to hear them. I need to hear them. I need to be reminded of them. Um, and um, so, and there's lots more. There's lots more. Um, because it's such a fascinating and huge, huge, huge topic. And I would say, I would say uh, a huge issue in our society because we continue to perpetuate the, you know, the, that, that perfect image. And, and sometimes it's even in the subtle things that we do that, you know, that, that perpetuates it. So I think for me, it's just, it's being aware. It's being aware and then noticing um, when those tendencies come up and, um, and, and just 
ways of being more compassionate with myself and others. So on that note, my gosh, thank you, Leah. This has been amazing. I have loved, loved, loved our conversation. And my soul sister, Carmen, my gosh, we have fun. We have fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Leah. This, our conversation today was so powerful and impactful adding your wisdom and insight into this. And I agree, Suzanne, this is not the, the one and only conversation we're gonna have about this. This is, there's gonna be many more. Yeah, it's such an important conversation to have. Guaranteed. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and this is, I have a world of respect for, for both of you and the knowledge that you that you both bring and that you're writing this book and I can't wait to read it. So I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Leah. Thanks, Carm. And we will come together again. And um, I'll use your words uh, before the start of our podcast. Uh, Aaliyah will continue to build our tribe of women and people who resonate. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. If you have enjoyed today's discussion, please like, comment, and share with others. We invite you to explore the many other returning to real conversations with rich insights and practices to guide you on your life's journey.